I'm Romy Newman, the co-founder and president of Fairy God Boss, and this is Fairy God Boss Radio. This season of Fairy God Boss Radio is brought to you by Cisco, the worldwide leader in IT networking and cybersecurity solutions. Cisco is deeply committed to inclusion and diversity because without diversity thought and a commitment to equality, there's no moving forward. Cisco was voted a top company for women by its female employees on Fairy God Boss. Today, I am just thrilled to be talking to Kelly Kay, who is the Executive Vice President and CFO of the Toyota Research Institute. Kelly, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Romney. I'm really happy to be here. Kelly, you've had an extraordinary career. Can you tell us about your journey? How did you start and how did you achieve this position? Sure. I'm really excited to share some information about my past with all of your listeners. Um, So I actually started out as a lawyer um, over 20 some years ago, and I started in the banking industry, um, which is a very strange place for women to go. And I'll never forget my first day of work um, with the HR department. Um, They sat me down um, with the other people who were starting that day, and they said, we even let women wear pants here. And it was in the days where you used to have to wear skirts and pantyhose work. And they were very proud of themselves because women could wear pants. Wow. Um, Well, that says it all. Yes. And I was very lucky um, because I was actually wearing pants that day. (laughs) So um, fit right in. So that was kind of day one at the bank. Um, But I think what really was important to me at the bank and kind of what really has driven my career and really been what I'm about is never saying no to an opportunity. And when I first started, there was a project that had been sitting around at the bank for over six months, and none of the other lawyers would take it. Um, they were, they'd all been there for a long time, and you know, I was kind of the young pup coming in the door, and I was super excited to do anything, because I was just like, wow, look at this, this is my first like week as a lawyer. And they handed me a project, and it was the internet, basically. Um, wow. It was in the days before there was online banking. And I said, okay, well, what is this project about? These crazy business people want to do um, online banking. They want to have an online home equity loan. And I helped figure out how to do that with the business partners that we had at the time, the product team and the engineers, um, in a world that's highly regulated. And from there, they actually assigned me to a special project where they wanted to start a 100% online bank. And they flew me to Delaware and locked me in a room with a bunch of uh, consultants. And we built one of the first online banks that were ever out there. And that was really what kicked off my career was my willingness to just go to Delaware. I had to get out a map and figure out where you even like where Delaware was. <laughs> um, and um, I spent about six months there working on the project. Um, and then they said, well, why don't you just relocate there and stay on the project? And while I was working at the bank, um, I was speaking at a conference, again, baby lawyer. I was, you know, a year and a half, two years out of law school. I met the first lawyer from eBay. Um, I was on a trip in California and he's like, are you looking for a job? I was like, no, I am a conservative bank lawyer. There's no way, you know, it was kind of a strange experience. He's like, well, come on, just send me your resume and, you know, we'll, we'll start a conversation. And I was like, I don't even have a resume. I'm not looking for a job. So I made something up that night in my hotel room and I sent it over to him. And after the conference finished, before I was flying back home, he's like, well, why don't you just come to the eBay office? Um, you know, there's only a couple of lawyers there and some business people you need to meet. It was very early days at eBay. And I was like, okay, I guess. Um, And I went and I interviewed. They made me the offer at the end of the interview. So it was like four people I talked to. It was the olden days. It was like they were moving fast back then. Um, And 10 days later, I was living in California. Wow. From Delaware to California. I just packed up my Ford Explorer with my cat and moved across the country. (laughs) That's amazing. And I think it's such a testament to the importance of signature wins 
you were willing to take on these big projects. And that seems to have kind of like set you, created this launch pad for you into, I guess, the heart of the first kind of tech boom. Yes, it was definitely in the middle of the boom. When I got to California, you actually couldn't even rent an apartment. I had no idea where I was going to live. And I was lucky that eBay helped me find kind of a place to stay temporarily. And it took months on waiting lists back then to get an even apartment in Silicon Valley. But it was an amazing experience. And eBay really helped launch me um, throughout my career. And again, it was the same theory of like never turn down an opportunity. I was on some amazing tiger teams. I helped set up some like infrastructure within the company. I worked on cool acquisitions when we acquired PayPal. I worked on that deal. Um, And they moved me all over the world too. So I had an opportunity to live in India for a year. I lived in Hong Kong for a year. And I spent eight years in Singapore with them as well. And that allowed me to travel all over the world and meet with different regulators and really build a name for myself as a payments expert and regulatory expert in the industry and build teams underneath me at the same time. So it wasn't just me by myself all the time. I was able to like take leadership roles as well. You really have built such a strong resume through all these different experiences. And I I guess my question is, was it deliberate? Did you say, oh, I'll go to Hong Kong because I think that will supplement my resume? Or you said, I'll go to Hong Kong because someone asked me to and I think it'll sound great or a little bit of both. I will admit to have never really worrying about my resume. Um, I worried about what I was passionate about. And I love traveling. I love Asia. Um, I like being in new and different places and really exploring and meeting new people and understanding different cultures. And I think being like who I am and how I've applied my experiences has really helped me at the end of the day, build my resume, but that was never my purpose. Um, It just seemed like my resume built itself um, just by having some of the brands on there. Other brands were attracted to me, but I always wanted to work at places that were changing the world. And I think places that also had really strong cultures that I believed in. And eBay for me was really like the pinnacle of like really understanding the importance of culture. Um, And it was, again, early days where they started just developing what they really wanted it to be. And this concept of people are basically good and was one that just resonated with me that, you know, I wanted that as part of my life. And throughout the different companies I've worked at when I was a leader and when I built um, values at TRI, I wanted to make sure, you know, respecting one another, be yourself and all those things that really help people thrive in a work environment were there. And eBay helped set the stage for me on that. I love that. And I, I love this idea that if you follow your passion and find great places to work, the growth and the development will be effortless or nearly effortless. Yeah. And, and it's not always right. And I did work someplace where it just wasn't for me. It was a very conservative, traditional culture. And I have purple hair. You can see it, but they can't see it on the radio. That's right. And when I left that place, I realized, like, as, as great as it was from an experience perspective, and I learned a lot there, it wasn't where I wanted to work as a person. I wanted to be someplace that was a lot more creative and imaginative and really cutting edge and, and thinking about the future and really caring about how the future was going to change people. Great. That's fantastic. Okay, so you were at eBay, and then what was the journey? How did you land at Toyota Research? And tell us about your role there now. Sure. So I was actually at Lyft before I was at TRI. Mm -hmm. And that was one of my other favorite places to work because of the culture again and what they were trying to do by transforming the transportation industry. The culture there was absolutely wonderful. Again, a great opportunity for me to build a team. Um, I built my own role there as well. I proposed what I wanted to do and what I thought the company needed to the founder. I put together a presentation and I went to meet the founders of Lyft. 
And I said, I think this is what you need. And I think I can do it for you. And I outlined where I thought their business was going from a regulatory perspective. And I didn't want to go there and be a lawyer. I wanted to go there and be a VP of operations. And I said, these are the hiccups you're going to see as your business tries to scale across America and across the world. And I think I can help you get to the next stage because I saw it as an analogy to what had happened in the payments industry when I was at PayPal. There was no regulation and all of a sudden there was regulation everywhere. Mm -hmm. And it really could slow down the business if you didn't think about doing it in the right way. So I kind of pitched to them kind of what I thought the solution was to a problem they didn't even know that I had yet. And they started scratching their heads. And a couple of weeks in of the, our discussions, they're like, okay, we get it. This is, this is going to happen. And they went from being regulated in one jurisdiction to being regulated in like 69 in a couple of months of me actually joining them. And I helped them actually get through that process. And they really gave me an opportunity um, that I, I didn't even know I could do. I didn't know I had it in me to pitch something like that to people, but I was talking to a recruiter and they were like, and it was a friend of mine from eBay. And he's like, you know, there's no reason why you can't do something like that. If you really want to work at a place because you believe in their culture and their mission and you think you can make a difference, you should pitch it. And I was like, okay, off I go. And, and I was successful and I, I love being there. And, you know, I traveled a lot for that job as well. Uh, but it was mostly around America. And I, I had more Southwest airline miles than you could possibly imagine. <laughs> but uh, I was approached by um, TRI while I was at Lyft. And TRI brought something completely different to me. And um, while I was on a trip, actually, my father had called me. And he was really upset. He was in the ER with my stepmother who had had two strokes. Um, she had fallen down. He had fallen down trying to pick her up. He's disabled. They were stuck on the floor together, had to call 911. And I realized, like, what am I going to do to help my parents? And I can't do that when I'm all over, you know, creation. And I started to really think about, well, what do I want out of my life at this point, thinking about this stage of my life? And just freak of nature, really, I get a call from TRI, who was really focused, their mission at the time was very focused on finding a way for the elderly to age in place gracefully. And this mission just resonated with my heart as I was trying to figure out how I was going to deal with my parents. And I don't think the work that we're doing today at TRI is going to solve the issue for my parents because robots are going to take a while, but maybe it's going to solve a problem for me and for my generation in the future. And that really just, I, I couldn't resist it because I was literally, I think I was on the phone crying during my interview with the recruiter. I was like, you don't understand what I'm going through right now. This is so perfect for me. And I was actually very perfect for them. And it was just a perfect match. And I couldn't say no. Um, as much as I loved Lyft, this was really an opportunity to make a difference in the whole wide world as we're facing an elderly population growth um, in China, in Japan, and in the United States. So, you know, I, they won me over at TRI and I moved to TRI. And I started as a COO, and I was responsible for kind of just the day-to-day -day administrative operations, so HR, finance, facilities, IT, that type of thing. And as my role started growing, or my, I guess, the, the skills that I had started being recognized within TRI, the CEO actually asked me to take on a bigger role of being the CFO and the executive vice president as well. So I still had responsibility for all the administrative stuff and the, the ops side of the house, but he also wanted me to have responsibility for delivery on the technology side of the house as well as the finance side of the house. And I really became his partner. And it's been a great opportunity for me to sit side by side with the CEO and run the company. And we really do partner together in what we do. You have an amazing story. And when we prepared, you told me you think that if you hadn't been an attorney, as a woman, you might not have had all these opportunities. Can you talk a little bit about why you said that and what you think was different? Because it isn't always that I jump on these calls and I just hear, oh, and then this came to me and then this came to 
<laughs> what do you think you did right to have all these opportunities come your way? I put myself in the right place at the right time, um, for sure. By being a lawyer, I, again, I think I told you when we were prepping that I never intended to actually be a practicing attorney. Um, I had no desire to be an attorney. I'd never met an attorney before I even went to law school. Um, I came from wow. a background where I was the first person that ever went to college in my family. Um, I was an only child. Uh, my mother worked two jobs. One of them was a bartender and the other one was an administrative assistant for somebody in an insurance agency. So I just, my mom worked really hard. Um, but it wasn't because she went to school. She just worked her butt off every day and really taught me that I needed to work my butt off if I wanted to survive. And I was able to get into law school um, and I'd never taken out a loan or anything like that when I went to law school. So I was really afraid of like, how am I going to do this? And I was able to get some scholarships through the process because I did really well in law school. But law school is really where I found myself. I was the shyest person you would have ever met. I used to cry when people would like call me out for something in class, or even when my cousins would give me a present, I would cry because I was just so shy. And when I was in law school, I used to just sit in the back and hope nobody would notice me. And that was kind of how I started school. And then about two months into law school, I realized that I got it. It made sense to me. And it wasn't hard. It, it was like, all by analogy, all stories. You had to memorize some stuff, but it wasn't that hard to memorize the stuff because it was a story. And I started like raising my hand, like, oh, I know the answer to that. And it was also the Socratic method where they call on you randomly. So you have to be prepared no matter what. You can't freeze up. So I just had to be overprepared. And I always overprepared because I was always afraid of getting called on and looking stupid. But I really found my voice when I was in law school. And I did not expect that to happen to me. And it really gave me the power to, to believe in myself as I went through it. And I ended up graduating very high in my class in law school, which gave me, I think, opportunities I wouldn't have otherwise had. But law school also gives, and being a lawyer gives you a structure. Everyone gets out of law school and there's like three things you can do for a living. You go to a law firm and you become a junior associate and you move your way up through the, the ranks. Um, and it eventually happens over time if you are a good lawyer. You could go and work for the government. So you could be a prosecutor or a defender or somebody like that um, and work your way up through the ranks there. Um, or you could go into the corporate field and work your way up through the ranks there. And it's not normal to go directly into corporate um, no, from law school. Um, I was lucky. <laughs> I was lucky because a woman believed in me. And I didn't tell you this part of my story, but one of my professors actually asked me, she's a female professor, Professor Cordray, and she asked me, so do you have a job for the summer? And I was like, no, I, I, don't, I don't really know what I want to do. And she's like, well, I've got a friend who works in the bank and they're looking for interns and I think you would be excellent. And I was like, okay, well, what do I do? <laughs> and she's like, well, here, I'll introduce you. And from there, it kind of just went wild. And I just went back to see her right before COVID. Um, so in February, I went back to Ohio and I met with Professor Cordray at the university. And um, I was actually speaking to some of the professors and students there. And I sat down with her in her office and she's like, I had no idea. And I was like, you were what made my career. Wow. And she just didn't really know. Special. Yeah, That must have been incredible. Well, I definitely think as I heard about your journey, law school helped you understand what it took to be a subject matter expert. And it seems mm -hmm. like that expertise, particularly how you lobbied for your job at Lyft, ended up playing such an important role. And I think it's such a good lesson for women in general that when we know we know the material, we can feel confident, right? It helps us build that confidence. And so much so that you were willing to sort of go out on the limb. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's using your subject matter expertise to help you grow in other areas too. So I knew, you know, next to nothing about autonomous vehicles, mm -hmm. but as a lawyer, like my job was to research and learn things. Every single 
case or situation is different. And that's also the flexibility you get as a lawyer is this ability to learn and teach yourself on how to do things. And, you know, the number of times I've heard you're not a technical expert is really hard because I'm like, well, I learned it just like you had to learn it. Um, I've had to go out and learn it to be a good leader at TRI. And, you know, women in technology never go together. And we're trying to change that at TRI. And I think you met with Jen Cohen um, at one point, and she's actually now got a new role as um, the VP of our core engineering team. And it's really important to have women in high levels in the technology industry. That's fantastic. Now, if you don't mind, will you just tell us a little bit about TRI and what your mandate is and some of the things you're working on? Sure. Um, So there's three main areas that we focus on. So the first is autonomous vehicles, and that's really bringing level four or level five autonomy to the world. And we call that chauffeur system. And that's when the car drives for the human. And then the other side of the um, autonomy is our um, guardian system. And the guardian system is really about helping humans um, when they can't handle a, a difficult driving situation. So it steps in like a an advanced safety system within the vehicle. So that if you can't handle a curvy road or the road conditions, the car will take over for you to protect you. And that's kind of how we see kind of the beginnings of autonomy taking place and then moving eventually to chauffeur. The next area is our robotics area. And I talked a little bit about that. And we're really trying to find ways for robots to enable people in the home. And not to replace people, but actually to help people, particularly the elderly. Um, so these are thinking about robots to help you with your everyday tasks. Again, helping you, not replacing you. So helping, like I have very bad arthritis. I, I can't hold a knife. So we're trying to train our robots to be able to peel potatoes and cut and chop vegetables, load That's the dishwasher. Great time saver, by the way, also. <laughs> Yeah, help you prep for your meals and things like that, or clean up after your meals. So again, still allowing the elderly to have those things that they're passionate about in their lives. Um, You know, my grandma loved to cook. And if I had taken that away from her with a robot, she would have had nothing in her life because she's lonely and old. So we want to find ways for people to really stay connected and and still be doing the things they're passionate about, uh, but allowing our robots to help them. And then finally, we work in an area called exploratory research. And that's really about finding what's next for Toyota. Um, In those areas, we're doing um, some work on advanced materials design and discovery, which is a really complex set of, uh, I call it physics, but it's trying to find new catalyst materials for batteries. So instead of using cobalt or lithium, trying to see what else might be out there for us. And we also just launched something called machine-aided cognition, which is about using machine learning and artificial intelligence tied to human behavior. So not using just data and repetitive things, but actually understanding the science behind human behavior and how machine learning and artificial intelligence can help predict human behavior in the future. That's amazing. You work in the future, which is so super cool. And I love to see how you light up when you talk about your work. You can see what attracts you to it and why you feel so gratified doing what you do. So let's talk then a little bit about work-life balance and how do you obviously are tireless and ambitious worker. How do you manage work-life balance? Um, Poorly, (laughs) I'll have to admit it. Um, But I I try really hard um, because I find if I work too much, I I drag myself down. Um, I I need to recharge. And I think work-life balance allows you to recharge. I, I have to go back to a story that, you know, is kind of one of the pivotal ones in my life. Um, And I had been working for PayPal at the time and living in London uh, with my boyfriend at the time and my cat in a lovely flat in downtown London. And he was working and I was still working for for PayPal and I was traveling around the world. I was responsible for Asia and I was responsible for Latin America. So I would go on the road for three weeks at a time and just do an around the world trip. 
and I would come home and he would be there and my cat would be there and they'd have stories to tell about how they spent their time together. Um, but he was not very happy. And he basically mm-hmm. told me it's, you know, this job or me uh, at Ooh, that point. And the ultimatum. Was, the ultimatum. And he did not say your career or me. He said this job or me. And I thought that was, re- that was really important to me um, because he wasn't saying, I don't want you to be professional. He was saying like, this job is killing you. Um, you've got to stop what you're doing to yourself. And, you know, I, t- I took it to heart and I actually did resign. And I told my parents that I'd resigned and they started laughing like, oh my God, I'm so proud of you. You're finally going to have a personality. And <laughs> I didn't even realize that I had spent 10 years of my life doing nothing but dedicating myself to work. And I had done amazing things in my career and I was very satisfied and I'd made tons of friends at work, but I really hadn't made much of a life for myself outside of work. So from then I kind of just put my feet down and tried to like reground myself and figure out what I wanted to do next. And since then I've been trying to do a bit better at the work-life balance. I found things that matter to me to put into my life, do foster kittens. Um, So each kitten season here in Silicon Valley, there's thousands of kittens that are born that have no place to go. They have to go someplace before they can go into the shelters to get adopted. Um, So I take in litters of kittens and I try and encourage all of my friends to take them in as well. And most of the time, (laughs) it's quite a project. So I've got um, my kitten from this year. This is um, Simon. Oh my gosh, there's a gorgeous, gorgeous black kitten with white paws on Kelly's lap. So he's, uh, he's blind in one eye. So he came to me right after his surgery and he was very sick and I had to kind of nurse him back to health. And, you know, those things like make me happy to do stuff like that. I also am an avid outdoors person. So I love to work out. I love to climb mountains, to kayak, to bike. So I like to make sure I find time for that with my husband or with my friends or even by myself. I don't mind doing it by myself. Again, I, I try and make sure I shut myself down, at least on the weekends, um, to go out and do the things I need to do. Um, I end up having to work interesting hours at Toyota because of Japan. So we do uh, Japan week, we call it. So I end up working Japan hours at least one week out of the month. So my husband just kind of goes into hibernation that week and does his own thing. And I do my thing. And then I come back. Before COVID, I used to have to travel to Japan for that week. And now we just do it in weird hours in the the house. (laughs) Interesting. So how do you set up guideposts? to make sure you don't get back to this place where you are working an untenable or an unhealthy amount? I block my calendar. So that's been one of, uh, I think, the key things for me is working really carefully to make sure that I don't let myself get overwhelmed with meetings. But I'm in back-to-back meetings every day from like eight in the morning until six or seven at night, Mm -hmm. unless I'm like, okay, must take a lunch break. I must take a Carving back ownership of at least some time on your calendar. Yeah. And it's, and I, if I don't do it, I get really ornery and I don't think my team members deserve that either. I'm like, you know, if you, I, I've got to take that break or it just, it wears me out. So that's great. All right. Well, I'm going to transition into some of our fun questions before we wrap up. So Kelly, what is your favorite karaoke song? I don't sing and I don't do microphones, but if I had to pick a song that I know all of the words to, it would be Under Pressure by David Bowie. That is a great song. Who is one celebrity you'd like to have dinner with? Patrick Stewart. I am a total Trekkie and Jean-Luc Picard was my favorite captain. And I love Patrick Stewart as well because of his Shakespeare twist. And I love Shakespeare. Um, And he's been doing these sonnets, reading them uh, every day for all through COVID. So it's actually been really fun to watch him read sonnets every day. And he's getting much older now. So I'm like, I had my crush on him. He was like probably my first captain crush for uh, Star Trek. So it's kind of sad to see him getting older. 
Oh, I love this though. I'm so glad I asked you that. <laughs> We're covering a lot here. What's a book you would recommend to our audience? Oh, um, so I love James Clavell. I don't know if anyone's read him before. Noble House was my favorite. It ties to your passion about Asia, right? Right. So I was living in Hong Kong and I thought, well, how best to learn about Asian culture, but to read books about the old school ways of doing things within Hong Kong. And I loved that book. And it was a fat book. And I read really fast. And any book that takes me a long time to read um, is probably one of my favorites. But that was cool. He's got a lot of other ones, but that was definitely my favorite. That's fantastic. You told us this a little bit, but what is your favorite way to practice self-care? I am a workout addict. Um, I've been working out almost every day of my life since I was 18 years old. I took some time off when I had hip replacement surgery this year. Um, and by some time, I took two days off of my workouts. I just did different kinds of workouts after my yeah. hip surgery. And it's hard um, to be limited. When you're used to being so active, it's frustrating to not be able to work out. What's your workout right now? So I've got iFit and I've got one of those bikes that's like a Peloton. Um, and there's this trainer called John Peel and he kicks my butt every time I do any like workout with him. I made my husband do the workout with me yesterday and his abs are still sore today. <laughs> so we have fun with that. John Peel, we'll check it out. All right, Kelly, I know that you told us you're a little bit shy, but here's the hardest question I'm going to lob at you. It's our observation at Fairy God Boss that women are not great at bragging or taking credit for the things that we're great at. So I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you to brag about something you're great at, something you're really proud of that you've done. I think I'm just really strong and it's strong of, of always. It's, it's strong in muscle, it's strong in mind, um, it's strong in passion. And I think for me, I am proud that I don't let anything stop me. And that's, I think, what made me me and why my friends love me and why my husband loves me and why my parents love me. And even the staff and the people at TRI, it's kind of the strength to, to power through and make sure that we can get through anything together. Yeah, I, I feel inspired. And that strength can be really inspiring to those around you. And I think if you have a fan club, I would like to join it, please. <laughs> Thanks. All right. So Kelly, our last question is just simply, What's the one piece of advice you'd like to leave our audience with today? Don't be afraid to ask for what you want. I love it. Well, Kelly, this has been extraordinary. I really enjoyed hearing from you and I really take your advice to heart. Never say no to an opportunity. I love to hear how you really empowered yourself with knowledge and you have this curiosity and, and the strength. Um, this has been really incredible talking to you today. Thank you for making time out of what is clearly a very busy schedule. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. It's been great. Thanks for joining us today on Fairy God Boss Radio. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and visit us at fairygodboss.com. See you next time.